Today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going through our series, Real Hope, our greater series, the big series, Real Church. And then we touched on different topics as like many series is through the book. And we, in the middle of this series, it's a three-part series, again, like I said, called Real Hope. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. I really want you guys to be able to follow along so you can see yourself what God has to speak to you this morning and today. And the, the, the message title two weeks ago, because we had our guest speaker, missionary Ben Spector here last Sunday, was Received Hope. It was hope that, that was received through the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. This message is entitled Resurrective Hope or Resurrection Hope. And the focus is on um, the power of the resurrection, how we should consider that as a believer, and what it looks like to have life in Jesus Christ because of the resurrection. So part two, resurrection hope, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 12 through 34 is what we're going to be covering today. If you'd like to take notes, you can jot that down. Before we get into the word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we are so grateful for this hope that we can have in you, hope in life, hope in tomorrow, when there are so many people who are hopeless, who are struggling through life, who are having difficulty in living. And, and we have this living hope inside of us that has changed our perspective on what life is supposed to be. And we've received it from you. You've given it to us. It's not natural. We didn't conjure it up in ourselves. You have placed your hope upon us. And we want to meditate on it and live in it on a daily basis. We pray, Father, that you would speak to us through your word today. We thank you for our blessed worship team, Lord, that lead us to your throne. And we can offer the sacrifice of our lips to you to praise you, to worship you. We thank you, God, for this time in the study of your word. And we want it to be, we offer it to you also as a, as a form of worship, Lord. We love you. And then for us to be able to give back to you, Lord, you've given us life, you've given us income, Lord. You take care of us in that way. And, and we pray that you would bless the tithes and offerings and that when we do give to you, Lord, it would be as, as in a heart of worship and in nothing else. So we thank you, God. We pray that you anoint and, and bless your word in our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. First Corinthians chapter 15. I had two, uh, two titles for this message. I, w I went back and forth, and I don't usually do this, but what I've done this morning for us is I have a subtitle. So I have a title, which is Resurrection Hope, but then I have a subtitle, which kind of, I mean, it has to go with it, right? And, and the, the, the subtitle is Public Enemy Number One. You guys ever heard that before? Who or what is public enemy number one? It's this guy, it's that guy, it's those people, whatever. This is the concern of the public, and that is our enemy. And we're going to unite against it. But there's one thing that's greater than any public enemy that could be number one. There's one thing that's, that's far high above all of the others that exalt itself. What is that, and how does it affect us on a daily basis? What would you guys say it is? I would tell you. That it's death. Death is public enemy number one. Nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to really, truly experience what death is like because it's, it's mysterious. We don't understand exactly what's going to happen afterward. The Bible gives us instruction and we can have hope as Christians as to know. But death brings finality. It's just, it's nasty. And even the people who want to try to embrace death who act like death is cool, you know? Even they, they don't really want to experience it because death is not life. Death is the opposite of life. We were driving back from Utah a couple days ago and on the highway, I saw this van and it had something written in big letters and, and I couldn't quite see it at first. And then we, as we got closer, I saw it and I got my, my, camp, my phone out quick enough to take a picture of it. I took a picture just for you guys. This is the van, dead for life. 
I don't know exactly what that means, but this is probably one of those people who likes to identify with the death part of life. But, but life and death are distinctly separate. They're, they're the opposites of each other. And I looked it up. There's some kind of rapper in the late 90s whose name was Death for Life or his album was called Death for Life or whatever. I didn't listen to it or whatever. But, but th- there's another thing I think more, more common more recently where this whole walking dead thing, you know, people are really embracing it. They like zombies. And, and I think that that's maybe more about what, you know, this guy's all about. Dead for life. Dead for life. How does death affect you? We're going to be talking about the difference this morning between death and life. And I have three points that I have mapped for you through the text that we're going to be in. And I want to encourage you guys to be note takers. Grab your calendar, flip it over to the back. There's a spot that you can take some notes. We have some pens on order right now. We're going to get you some Paradise Calvary pens to put in the back of the seat so that you guys can can jot notes and, and follow along. Here's your three points if you're note takers. Number one, empty faith. That's the first thing we're going to be looking at. Number two, made alive. And number three, put under him. And if you look at those three and you make an acronym out of it, what does it, what does it say? EMP. You guys know what an EMP is? Anybody? Maybe the guys do electromagnetic pulse. And people are really scared. You know, I was talking to somebody recently. They're like, there is. We know, we can confirm that there is a bomb that can do an electromagnetic pulse. And if detonated over the middle of the United States, it would wipe out all communication, all electrical circuits. And as a result, what would happen? And I ask you, as a result, what would happen if that were to take place? Somebody in the first service yelled out, people would spend more time with each other and less on their phones. That's true. But then you would die. Because everything is dependent on electricity. Everything, your cars wouldn't work. And, and when, when you say EMP, anybody that's looked into it or heard of it, the, kind of, the, the first place that their mind goes to is trying to be ready for that or that if it happens, ultimately, you're dead. You know, you're just, there's not much time left. We've, we've, we've gotten to a place in history where we're so dependent on electronics that, that that's death. But for us, I've taken this acronym and I flipped it today for us. This EMP that we're going to look at this morning and these three points that we're going to look at, they do not produce death. They produce life. This electromagnetic pulse is is God's power through the resurrection of the dead. And how that, that death may be in the world because of sin. It will not, it should not now, but it definitely will not rule, reign, or have authority over you in the future. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, our EMP is life. The world's means death, God's means life. Let's look at chapter 15, verse 12. Now, if Christ is preached that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not risen. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. A couple things to take note. This is our first point, empty faith. And a couple things to take note. The Corinthian church, whether or not they believed in the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not on the table. What they're talking specifically about not believing in the resurrection of your physical body. Which I feel like the resurrection is one of the least talked about and, and dialogued about things in the church today. It's just like we, we put full stock into Jesus' resurrection. But when we talk about the resurrection of our body, because it's so hard to wrap our minds around that, we kind of just dismiss it. Chapter 15 in 1 Corinthians talks about and gives us the most clarity about the resurrection than anywhere else in the Bible. 
So this is going to give us a real clear picture of what it's going to be like to be resurrected from our physical body. The next study, the last in our series, is restoration hope, and it deals specifically with your body and what that's going to look like at the resurrection. We don't know exactly, but we have an idea, and that's important to consider. So Paul's rebuking them. He's saying, listen, there is a resurrection But there's also, if there's not a resurrection, then Christ wasn't risen. And if he wasn't risen, then you're in a very unfortunate, terrible place. And your faith is empty. What's the other thing? Well, when we're talking about the resurrection, and we consider the resurrection of the dead, and if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, and your faith is also empty, we consider, you know, When we die, many people, they don't think about how there's going to be a transition in the text between dying and going to sleep. We don't think about how we're going to go to heaven. We're going to have the same bodies, but they're going to be glorified bodies. We're going to talk about it next week more. But but most people think, you know, you go to heaven and and you're going to be a fat little cherub on a cloud and you're going to be playing your, your, your harpsichord or your harp or whatever. And that's what heaven's going to be like. But that's not what heaven's going to be like. You're going to have your body. And Paul is trying to remind them the importance of considering uh, that their bodies are going to be resurrected and how it applies to them in that day and for us today. Verse 15. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did, if he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. If we find our hope and satisfaction in this life today, and that's it, not in eternity, not in the resurrection of our body, we are of all men to be the most pitiable. He says we'll become false witnesses of God if we start telling people there's no resurrection of the dead. There is a resurrection of the dead To start to tie some of this together, I have a couple other verses in the New Testament that I want to bring to you. The first one is John chapter 11, starting in verse 25. If you'd like to turn there in your Bible, you can, but we also have it on the screen for you. John chapter 11, verse 25. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you have been here, my brother would not have died. Even, but even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. One of the I am statements, the first time that God gave his name to people was when he told Moses to tell Pharaoh, when he said, who should I say, who sent me? Tell him, I am sent you. And Jesus says, I am am, identifying himself with the eternal God, the resurrection and the life. And it wasn't just the resurrection. Because once you have partaken in the resurrection, the thing that naturally comes after that is life, is life. And whoever lives, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Sometimes I wonder if maybe we should put that, tag that little thing on that Jesus said on more things in our lives. Jesus gives us a promise. The word of God gives us a promise. Then we need to take that, that little statement that Jesus made to her and, and tack it on the end. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Because you're saying one thing, but you're doing another. You're saying you have faith, but this is, the, this is your lifestyle. Do you believe this, he says to her? And she says, yes, I do believe. But I want to take this in another direction for a moment 
if we go back up to the first verse, it says, Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. How many of us can identify with that verse? How many of you have said that to God or to the Lord? I can tell you that I've said it many times in, in different circumstances, in different relationships, in different you know, workplace situations. I said, God, I've been praying about this thing. God, I've been seeking you about this thing. And if you would have just been here, if you would have showed up, then then death wouldn't have come to the situation. But I want you guys to take note this morning that in order for the resurrection to happen in your life, in order for God to raise things from the dead, they first have to die. You don't get the resurrection from life. You get the resurrection from death. And when we have that perspective, we say, God, this thing in my life that I care about so greatly, God, this thing that's that's worth has so much value in my life, when it dies, then God is able to come in and he's able to raise it to life. We're able to offer it to him. If her brother hadn't have died, he wouldn't have got to experience the resurrection. And I want to encourage you that if you're going through something right now in life or whatever kind of season you're in, you go through seasons of, 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 of plenty, seasons of life, seasons of good, and you go through seasons of death. And if you don't, then praise God. But I do. I know it's true. I go through seasons where everything's death. And God, why is this happening? And I hate it. And God says, Tim, unless a seed falls into the ground and dies, it does not produce any fruit. You know what that means? It means unless something dies and is buried, it can't sprout and come back to life. What are you holding on to that you think is more valuable than being able to let it go and allowing it to die so that God can raise something better from it? You know, I experienced this. One of my first experiences with with God, I was in this relationship in, in high school it was, uh, she, we were like high school sweethearts. We dated for, for years. We were planning to get married after high school. Um, we totally thought we were completely in love with each other. Through a series of events at the end of our relationship after we were, I was graduating high school, she was right after me. Um, the relationship stopped and, and, and it was not, you know, going anywhere um, from there. It was, it was dead. It, it was dead. And it wrecked me. It wrecked me because I really put a lot of stock into this person and that relationship. And I really loved her, you know. And, and when that happened, it sent me kind of into a little bit of a tailspin. And, and it was really the thing, the very thing that drove me to the throne of God. What is your purpose in my life? I thought that I had things planned out. I thought that I knew what I was doing. And it was through the death of that relationship that God brought beauty from ashes. And and with all due respect, with all due respect, I couldn't imagine myself being married to that person today. I would not be, it wouldn't be a good relationship. It wasn't back in high school, it still wouldn't be now. And what God gave to me through the death experience of that relationship was a woman that I wouldn't want to spend a day with anybody else in my entire life. He named her Grace because he wants me to understand what his grace looks like. And I couldn't have engaged in in the life and love of the marriage that I have with my wife unless I first experienced the death that not only was the death of, of a relationship, but it was the death of myself. It was the death of what I wanted. It was the death of, of my will, my plans. The same is true for you, whatever it is, whether it's a relationship, whether it's, it's, a, it's a, a career, whatever the case may be, God cannot bring things to a resurrected life state unless they die first. You can't get hung up on the death part because God, our God, is the God of the resurrection. He is the God of the resurrection that brings dead things back to life. Point number one, don't have empty faith. 
don't have empty faith. And if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Verse 20, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. This is our second point, if you're taking notes or following along, and it is made alive. You see in that last part, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ, all shall be made alive. And we can't skip the first part. He says in verse 21, for since by man came death, look at that word man in your Bible. What is it? Lowercase m, by man, by Adam, by the flesh of this world came death. And then he says, for since by man came death, by man, what is the the difference between the the first man and that man? It's a capital M. You know what the difference between a lowercase m and a capital M is? The capital M is speaking of God, is speaking of Jesus Christ. By man, Adam, came death, but by man, the Son, Jesus, Jesus Christ, also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be, circle it, underline it, note it in your Bible, made alive. Do you want to know what God's will is for your life? Do you want to know what God's purpose is for your life? Do you know what his desire is for your life? It's to live. It's to have life. It's life abundantly. He has made you alive. And it's too true that many times in the church and outside the church, our focus is more on the authority that death has over us than the life that we've been given and that we've been made alive through Jesus's resurrection and sacrifice. Our next verse is in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. Grant's going to put it up for us again as well. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God, through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Read that part again in the first first section. Who, according to his abundant mercy, has begotten us again. Who has begotten us again. He made us as man. We sinned, we fell away. He's begotten us again to a living hope. What series are we in? Hope. Real hope. He's begotten us to a living hope. It's almost like Peter and Paul were preaching the same message. Different dudes, same spirit, same message. What's God's intention? What's his hope? What's his desire for you? Living hope. And the the living hope that comes from God to you and me is through the power of the resurrection. Verse 23. But each one in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, afterward those who are Christ at his coming, then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom of God to the Father, when he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Here's our first put. Our third point is put under him, but this is our first put. If you're taking notes, we have one, two, three, four, five, six puts right here that we're going to look at, which is our third point. Number one says that he puts an end to all rule and all authority and all power. Public enemy number one. What has the greatest level of authority, of power, of rule over you? What is it? Is it your boss? No. Is it your job? Is it school? Is it your parents? Is it your wife? Don't say amen, brother. Don't say it. You're going to pay later. What's the greatest level of authority over you? Power, rule over you. What you you base your decisions on. Ultimately, for all of us, it's death. 
I'm not going to jump off that cliff because I don't want to die. I'm not going to drive with a certain person, even though I love them, because I don't want to die. We make decisions based on the authority that is over us. And Paul says that he puts an end to all rule. The highest level of rule, the highest level of authority that you experience in life is is the difference between living and dying. And that's what controls your decisions, your life. And he, he lists these three. He says, the rule, all authority, and all power. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. Death reigns now, but Jesus defeated death and will reign forever. So what's the greatest? What's the highest? It's death. We all agree. Death stinks. It's terrible. We don't want to experience it. And there's going to come a time. It has come and we're going to see it literally fulfilled where death is placed under Jesus' feet. And it's because of the power of the resurrection. The resurrection is the crescendo. It's the pinnacle. It's the peak. It's the best part of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because it puts that one ultimate authority that has been over us since sin entered the world, it puts it underneath his feet, which then puts it underneath us. And the only authority that we have above us, we'll see in a second. For he must reign till he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For he has put all things under his feet. But when he says all things are put under him, it is evident that he who put all things under him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to him, then the Son himself will also be subject to him who put all things under him that God may be all in all. Do you know we, even as Christians, we can lose sight of the fact that death no longer has authority over us. We can lose sight. We can start to get frustrated and upset. You know, death, death has no authority over you anymore. God is the only authority over you. And when you have that perspective, you will be blessed. But he's saying it will literally be fulfilled when we will be in a place where there's no more tears, there's no more war. They're going to beat their swords into plowshares. There's going to be peace, shalom, peace, which also means completeness. All things are going to be put under his feet that God may be all in all. Imagine a day when the only thing that affects the decisions that you make, because you're still going to have that privilege when you get to heaven to be with God, the only things that are going to affect the decisions that you make in life on a daily basis are that God is your ultimate authority. Not that death is your ultimate authority, that God is your authority and he is all in all over all. And some people may be terrified of that fact. I cannot think of, of a, a more descriptive way to, to talk about what heaven's going to be like. No authority of death over me anymore. As much as I struggle with, with death now, whether it be literal death in my life or it be, or it be death in seasons, death in circumstances, it's going to have no hold or rule or authority or power any longer. When we were camping with, the, with my kids, the boys, they um, asked me a question. It was actually separate. They both asked the same question. I'm not sure why. I, I can't even remember talking about it before, but my one son says, Hey, hey, Dad, what's your favorite superhero? And I'm like, well, he said, what was your favorite superhero when you were a kid? And I said, dude, Jesus is my favorite superhero. He's like, I know, he's number one. Jesus is number one. But what's your number two favorite superhero? And I'm like, I'm just kidding. You know, we were kids. We had, we had favorite superheroes. And, and my favorite superhero was Wolverine. I mean, he's just the best. I would love to see Wolverine and, and Superman go at it. I would love it. I love to see Wolverine and bat anybody. You know, Wolverine's definitely the best. He's a man's man. He's a dude. And and I think that most of us, if any of you follow this, most of us forget where the true superpower or what the true superpower for Wolverine was. What would you say that it was? Maybe some of you 
would say his was adamantium skeleton or his blades or, you know, that, that, that's what's visually seen. But those weren't really, that was part of, but his true superpower was that he had the ability to heal rapidly, cell regeneration, which made Wolverine what? It made him immortal. And he'd meet many people. He had fallen in love. And I don't normally talk about movies, but it was so applicable because my son asked me and, and I was thinking about life and, and I'd forgotten the immoral, immoral, that too, but immortal part of Wolverine. And I was considering it. I'm thinking about the Bible study and in that van and on the way home, I'm thinking about death. I'm thinking about life. And then the next day, my other son comes up to me. He says, dad, which was your favorite superhero growing up? I'm like, this is weird. So I'm like, it was Wolverine because he's awesome. Everybody knows that. He beat everybody. He's like, yeah, cool. Me too. I like Wolverine's my favorite too. And I'm like, right on, boy. Toyotas and Wolverine. We're going to get her done. Then we came back. And the Lord always uses these kind of things to to, kind of, you know, it's always, isn't it funny how it kind of, it has to do with with what we're studying in the Bible and it kind of helps sink things in a little bit deeper. And I I go to the gym tomorrow because I've been out of the gym for a week and I'm like, I got to get back into the gym. So I'm like, babe, I'm going to the gym. So I'm going to the gym and and I walk into the gym and and what movie's playing? There's a movie playing in the gym, The New Wolverine. And I'm like, this is crazy. And it wasn't until that point that I'm on the elliptical, sweating my keister off, you know, that I realize as I'm watching the movie, because it's all clean, you know, it's in the gym, that, that, uh, that, that uh, the main power that, that he had was, was immortality. And, and in that story, if you've seen that movie, the archvillain is trying to rob that ability from him so that he can take it on himself so that he could be immortal, but Wolverine would die. And if you know any of the history about Wolverine, he, he hates the fact that he's immortal because he has so many experiences that, that life becomes miserable for him. So the guy's like, I'm doing you a favor. You give me your ability and then I'll live forever, and then you can have your wish, and you can die. And I think it's interesting, maybe ironic, think about this with me, that the heroes of man, the heroes of mankind, are, are people who that have powers that they would be able to live forever. Especially somebody like him. And this is the exact, this is the identical power that we have through our relationship with God in the resurrection. He is a God of the resurrection. There's a transition there that we didn't kind of settle on, which I had in the first service, but I, but I kind of passed over it. There's a transition where there was no longer a speaking of people were dying or death. It was that they were sleeping. And that we would go to sleep because in in Jesus, the resurrection happens now. It's going to happen in your life. It can be happening in your life. God wants that life, the resurrection and that life to be present in your life today. And there's going to be a literal resurrection of your body in the future, which is what we're going to talk about next week. But the resurrection of God that he wants you to experience is for right now. And you guys know what, what you're struggling with. You know what death has creeped in and what's knocking on the heart of your door, door of your heart even. Verse 29, Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead? And if the dead do not rise at all, why then are they baptized for the dead? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? So this baptism of the dead thing's kind of controversial. There's a couple different views out there. One view is, hey, what Paul's doing is, is, is a rhetorical. It's a rhetorical question. He's not saying that people should be uh, baptized for the dead. He's saying that some people are doing that. And his argument is, if you don't believe in the resurrection of the dead, and baptism literally symbolizes somebody dying and being put into a grave and then raising up in newness of life. That's what baptism symbolizes, literally. And why do you guys baptize for the dead? He's using it as an argument. Whatever the case may be, and whatever you know, arguments that people have, this is the final word on it. We never create doctrine that we follow that's not supported in multiple places in Scripture. This is the first and last time we ever hear about this in any place of the entire Bible. 
So to develop doctrine, we see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the Gospels, and we see it in the epistles or the letters written. That's how we develop doctrine. So there's people that get hung up, and I don't think it's that big of a deal. He's making a point in saying, why are you guys doing this if you don't believe in the resurrection? And why do we stand in jeopardy every hour? That kind of is a, is a setup for what he's about to say, so take note of that. Why are we in jeopardy every hour? He says, I'm in jeopardy sharing the gospel every hour. Think about that. Think about God's perspective or Paul's perspective of God that he was willing every hour to share the gospel with some, somebody that could potentially even risk his life. That's crazy. It's not made to be a guilt trip or anything like that. It was just his lifestyle. Why would I put myself in jeopardy every hour? I affirm by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. Paul says, I have circumvented the consequences of flesh, which is sin and death, by dying to myself daily so that I could live. It's a hard concept to wrap our, hand, our heads around sometimes. Jesus said, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross and, and follow me. This idea of the will of the flesh, my will, the, the lusts of the heart, the lusts of the eyes and, and the pride of life versus the will of God for me and me following him. Paul says, I die to myself so that I can live daily. And let me tell you something. I can completely understand what he's saying and totally concur. The days that I walk in the flesh, the days I walk in the flesh, I walk in death. I'm mad at people. I'm cursing out old ladies, cutting me off on the freeway. By the way, my cursing's like, hot dog, diggity diggity bandit girl. You're going to give me an aneurysm. All right. You you can take, take that, you know, how you would, but... But I get death from it because I'm in the flesh. But when I crucify the flesh, when I put aside the flesh, the will of the flesh, and I walk in the spirit of God, then I experience life. I experience the presence of God. And he says, I die daily so that I can live. If in the manner of men, I have fought with beasts at Ephesus, what advantage is it to me? What is Paul saying? He went through a lot. He was stoned to death, dragged out of the city, resurrected, went back in to preach the gospel again. Right here, thrown to wild animals that were going to tear him apart. Somehow he lived and he continued to preach the gospel. He says, what benefit is it to me? If there's no resurrection, why am I living like this? Why am I putting myself in danger? If the dead do not rise, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. What's our current equivalent to that verse? YOLO. You only live once, sucker, let's go do this. You only live once, let's eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. And he says, hey, This is the wrong perspective to have. We die to ourselves. We live to God. And we live in the life, the power of the resurrection today and into all eternity. Verse 33, do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. How many of your moms said that to you? You know, your mama was a believer. You know, she's like, hey, bad company corrupts good. One bad apple, baby. Spoils a whole bunch, baby. If you have that kind of resurrection life mentality and you start to hang out with people who have a death, death death for life mentality, then that's the kind of process of thinking that you're going to start to go over to. Bad company corrupts good habits or corrupts good characters. Don't don't hang out with people who are more into, more connected to, more able to identify with death than life. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. This is really what the the, the, the one of the greatest blessings of 
of receiving salvation and reconciliated relationship to the Father. This is one of the greatest blessings right there. He says, let's read it again. For some do not have the knowledge of God. He's given us the knowledge of himself as a believer. He said, for those people who are not living in life, for life, their focus is death. That's, that's the wrong way. We have the knowledge of God. He says, I speak this to your shame. Wrapping up, I want to go through our three points again, EMP. We can rename it to electromagnetic power, I guess. It's a pulse, whatever, but it's God's power in our lives. Because he's the God of the resurrection, number one, empty faith. If you do not believe that something that you went through that was so hard and brought death in your life, if you do not believe that God is the God of the resurrection and that he wants to bring something, some life from that, the question is, would that be empty faith? Do you believe in vain? God is the God of the resurrection. He wants to bring life to that death that happens in your life. If we don't believe God raises from the dead, we have empty faith. And then our takeaway, don't hold on to death. Embrace life. And I know that that can be hard sometimes. Don't hold on to death. Move on and embrace life. Allow him to bring things to life. Point number two, made alive. Made alive. In Adam all die. In Christ all live. Our takeaway, don't identify with the flesh. The flesh is death. The man, lowercase m, Adam, produced death through sin. Jesus Christ produced life. You want to live abundantly? You got it through Jesus. And if you're in the flesh, it might seem like a good idea now, but I promise you, I promise you that it's going to start to produce death in your life. Number three, put under him. Death reigns now, but Jesus defeated death and will reign forever. Death doesn't rule us. We rule with Jesus. We rule with Jesus. Death does not rule over us. So we ask ourselves that question, right? What's ruling over you? What has authority over you? What controls you? What has power? Is it death? Or is it understanding and knowing that that Jesus has placed that under his feet, that God might be all in all? Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word today and, and for it to stir up hope in us. That, that we can have something tangible to, to consider, some application for our life. Consideration that, that death may surround us. Death may exalt itself against us. Death may be displaying its power over us. We don't receive the authority of death over us because the only authority over us is that of our God who is a loving God, a living God who holds in his hand the power of the resurrection. So God, we pray that you would raise to life those things in our lives which have died. We pray that you'd give us the proper perspective of the resurrection that we will someday, as Christ was the first fruits, we will come after and be resurrected in bodily form, in fulfillment of your promises to us. And that we have an inheritance that is eternal and exceedingly great and precious promises that we're going to be able to partake of in a way that we never have before. Sow these seeds in our heart, God, to produce life. Send out your church to be life in a planet of death. And for so many people obsessed with with what that means or what that looks like. Thank you, Jesus. I have to give you guys an opportunity this morning because I know that this can be a problem for people. 
If, it's, if it can be a problem for me, I'm sure that there's people here that have struggled with it. And I want to give you an opportunity to respond to the Holy Spirit today. If the Lord touched your heart and you've been struggling with death, you've been struggling with death literally, or you've been struggling with death figuratively through circumstances in your life, and you've allowed it to some degree, to one degree or another, to have any authority over you, and today you want to say, enough. Death has no authority over me. The flesh has no authority over me. I have received life, an abundant life, and a living hope through my God of the resurrection. If that's you and you want to, in agreement with me, respond, I want you to slip your hand up so that I can pray for you. God knows your hearts. God knows where you're at. He knows what you've been through. Go ahead and slip your, put your hand up high so I can see and pray for you. I see your hands, brothers, sisters. Anybody else? Father God, I pray for these, my brothers and sisters, who in honesty have come before you and said that they need you. They need your help. They don't want this focus to be on death. They don't want their life to feel hopeless because you've given them a living hope because you are the God of the resurrection. Raise those people's hearts Raise them to life, whatever place they find themselves in now. According to the promises of your word, I pray and I ask you in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, lastly, I don't, I know most of you guys here, there's some people I don't know. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that has never made that commitment to submit themselves to the power of God for the resurrection of their life. You've been living in the flesh. You've been experiencing death. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose again, you will be saved. If you will place that faith in Jesus today, you can also receive the gift of salvation and the abundant life that we talked about. So with everybody's heads bowed and eyes closed, if there's anybody here this morning who's never made that decision and wants to make it, I encourage you to make it. Step into life. Put your hand up high so I can pray for you, that prayer of salvation. Is there anybody at all? Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters again. They are a living hope, witnesses, the fragrance of Christ that you are sending out into the world this week to be a light because of the power of the Holy Spirit that they have inside of them. In Jesus' name, may we consider and remember you are a God of the resurrection and there is no authority over us except for you. In Jesus' name we pray again. Amen. We're going to go ahead and receive the elements of communion today. So if you come forward, form two lines, we have two stations. Go back, remain standing. We're going to receive the elements together standing. I I want to say this to you. Listen, if you're not comfortable with taking the body and blood of Jesus Christ, which symbolizes the new covenant that we have with him, if you're not comfortable with it, please don't. I'm not telling you not to, but unless you're in a, in, in a proper place, in a good place in your relationship with God, it's not healthy for you to do. So put yourself in the proper place in your heart. Take a moment to meditate and, and realign where you're heading and what God's heart is for you today. And then take the elements, return to your seats, and then we'll receive them together standing.
sung by flaming tongues above. Raise my bound time fixed upon it, so out of my redeeming love. Ebenezer, <coughs> thy good pleasure, <coughs> Jesus sought me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God rescue me from danger his purpose love rescue me from danger post his precious love Let's all stand together, please. The Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's take up the bread. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's take of the cup. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Father God, once again, we've said it many times, but once again, one last time, thank you that you are the God of the resurrection and that you have placed your authority higher than that of death and that Satan no longer has any rule, control, or any ability through sin to cause us to die. We can die ourselves. We can place our own hearts at your feet. And knowing that whatever we go through, whatever we struggle in, God, that you are good, that you are in the business of resurrection, and that our hope is in you, this living hope that we have. In Jesus' name, amen.